This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Happy Monday. Donald Trump's first weekend in power was dominated by arguments over crowd counts and huge demonstrations around the world. Now it looks like he's getting down to what he has said is one of his top priorities. Trade. Just before we went to air, we had the news that he signed the notice starting withdrawal from the proposed Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal. We'll find out what that means for Canada in a moment. Just last week, our former Prime Minister Stephen Harper basically said that that deal is dead in the water. But more important to us, I think, is NAFTA and his determination to renegotiate it. It's an agreement that is the cornerstone for thousands of jobs on both sides of the border. Canada's cabinet is meeting at a retreat to deal with this, though we've got to hope that their response is not going to be marked by retreat. So, are we looking at a complete dismantling of the decades-old trade agreement or just a subtle tweaking? We want to hear from you. The numbers 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. First, let's go to Mark Warner, a senior international business and law expert with MAAW Law and McMaster University professor Marvin Ryder. Hello, gentlemen. Hello there. Okay, so uh, let's start with Mark. Uh, what do you make of all this? First of all, he's uh, started the, pr- the process of withdrawing from the TPP. Okay, so with the TPP, I mean, that was to be expected. I don't think there's anything newsworthy about that. I, I think that was coming. My own view of that, and we can perhaps can get into it later, is I expect um, that that will be rebranded like a casino or a hotel at some point in his uh, administration. I mean, it started out under George W. Bush and was rebranded under Obama. And I think the American interest and sort of say the West's interest in having a presence in that region of the world is so great that the geostrategic reasons are that will come back in some form. So I'm not too fussed by TPP being the executive order this morning. Um, and, uh, you know, I think our focus should be more on NAFTA. But, uh, you know, I think it's indicative of, of trust Trump's way of negotiating, which is to throw something out there that will get everyone really excited and, um, and then start making concessions before he gets to the table to talk about what he really wants to talk about. Okay. Uh, Professor Ryder, uh, so what do you think this uh, – there's been a lot of, you know, huffing and puffing about NAFTA, but do you think we're looking at a serious renegotiating of it or, or just a tweaking? So the problem of trying to figure out Donald Trump is that he has felt free over the last year to comment on just about everything, and, and we just don't know what he thinks of Canada. His diatribes on trade have been mostly aimed at China and Mexico. I'll give you a quick example. He wanted to put a 35% duty on goods made by American companies outside of the United States that then come back into the United States. So, for instance, if I'm a car company in the United States making cars in Mexico, going to sell them in the United States, 35% duty. Well, wait a minute. 
We do that here in Canada. We make cars in Canada. Some of them are kept here. Some of them are shipped back. Do you want to put a 35% duty on us? And he's never been very clear about that. If he does want to do that, it could be devastating, absolutely devastating for the car industry in Canada. On the other hand, Donald Trump might be one of those Americans who view Canada like a 51st state. So when I'm musing about it, I don't really mean you guys. Your friends, we like you. It's those people south of the border that I'm trying to harm. And until he clarifies, we have to walk around on pins and needles. <laughs> what, what do you think, Mark? Well, I actually I agree and I disagree. I don't think we have to walk around in pins and needles because I think that's, that's part of the problem with this whole thing is that, you know, three times in my career, trade has become a huge issue and I've been asked to be on, on stoves like this, uh, you know, and this is the, this is the third time. But, um, look, I, I think we need to sort of have a broader, longer-term view of this. Um, there are going to be some negotiations. There has been some dissatisfaction with NAFTA in the United States that precedes Mr. Trump. The two issues that we know he wants to talk about, uh, at least that we think he wants to talk about from a leaked report or whatever in the Globe and Mail a couple of weeks ago, one is rules of origin, and this gets kind of into what yeah. Martin is talking about. Um, we'll see where he goes. That, the irony of that is that what Trump is saying in, on rules of origin is actually what, like what the Canadian left has traditionally talked about when they think about NAFTA in terms of particularly the UAW, the, the CAW, right? So we have to wait and see. Remember, even on the TPP negotiations, Canada was a late at joining the party in large part because we didn't want to lower the thresholds for rules of origin for autos. Let's so, uh, let's just explain this uh, for people uh, sure. out there listening. Rules of origin. So that means, uh, you know, is if if we make a dress in Canada, right? If the fabric comes from somewhere else, is it really Canadian? Yeah. How much transformation does the does the product have to have before it be? would qualify as being made in Canada, in Canada, Mexico, or the United States to qualify for the lower duty treatment, right? Because remember, what we're doing in NAFTA is agreeing to lower our tariffs relative to the rest of the world. So the American concern is that Chinese and Japanese and other Asian producers are establishing north of the border and south of, south of their border, producing at lower cost, and then having mod modest amounts of transformation, and then have the good transformed into a car and sold in the United States. And so what Trump is saying, if you're going to keep doing that, I'm going to have a high tariff on you. Question whether he can really do that. I think there's arguments that he can't, but assume he can. Um, then the next question is, is that a negotiating ploy so that he can play around with the actual rules of origin? And that's where I think we are. Okay. Uh, so just in a general way, though, uh, how much danger are we in? Well, you see, well, that's, I think the sorry. problem here is that we just don't know. We don't know how Donald Trump is planning to turn his rhetoric into action. You know, again, a simple example, all through the campaign, he was going to build a wall between the United States and Mexico. And it's a big wall, and it gets larger every time they protest, and I'm going to make them pay for it. Then he gets elected, and he says, well, wall, fence, you know, it'll be this, it'll be that, it'll be that, but they're still going to pay for it. So until we actually see what he's going to do, and that's what I mean by pins and needles, I think we should continue our life like any other day. But until we know exactly what he means, I don't think we should overreact to this. And, and in fact, I, I think you, your, Mark has made a really good point. Donald's deal-making is often to come into a room full of bluff and bluster, get you shaking in your boots, start making concessions even before the negotiation has begun, and then he seems to be a winner. I think our best view, and I think Justin Trudeau so far has done a pretty good job of this, is to keep our powder dry. Let's not go offering him something. Let's not go cowering into the room. We are a major trading partner with the United States. They need us as much as we need them. And let's hear him out. Let's hear what he wants to do with NAFTA. 
for all I know, his modifications may be rather minor when it comes to Canada. It may be that most of the changes are Mexico. But until we begin to actually see him come alive, we just don't know. Let me just ask, uh, was it a mistake for our government to, to say off the top, fine, we'll renegotiate it? Was that a, was that a tactical error? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, first of all, I think that if you go back to it in July, the, I think the Mexican foreign minister signaled a willingness to renegotiate NAFTA. Look, NAFTA is not a Bible. It's a, I think sometimes in Canada, it's, it's taken on this funny uh, um, status in Canada, given that we had such extensive negotiations in the 80s about the earlier Canada-U.S. free trade agreement. It's a trade agreement that's 25 years old. Uh, in, in a lot of respects, the agreement is not, it, it, you know, it doesn't take into account things like the digital economy that didn't exist in 94. In the ordinary course of things, if you weren't negotiating with Mr. Trump and with his bluster, I think reasonable people could say that NAFTA could do with a serious fine-tuning. Um, forget about all the other elements of protectionism. It's just an old agreement. And, and part of, and I will say this as a trade lawyer, again, wearing my American trade lawyer hat as well, um, that's the way NAFTA is viewed in a lot of trade circles in the United States, independent of Mr. Trump. Um, so I think that's something we need to keep in the back of our mind here. Yes, that's an agreement that needs to be updated, and uh, that's a conversation we, we could and should have. Okay, yeah, uh, let's go to the phones and people, the numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-744-740. We've got Jody in Scarborough. Hello, Jody. Hello, my Libby? Yes. Hi, hi, it's Jody. Uh, Libby, my comment is we don't know what Donald's going to do. He'll <laughs> yeah. Do it, he'll do it when he does it. But I think what this whole thing does is bring to focus for a lot of Canadians what a poor job our politicians have done to put us in this position where we're shaking in our boots wondering what is Donald going to do to us. That is sad. Well, yeah, but on the other hand, uh, it's like this prime minister's fa- father said, we're sleeping next to an elephant, and that just is a fact. Uh, the United States has 10 times the population we do. Sure they do, but I don't think as a country we have to be wondering and hoping that this person will bring us something good or do not do something bad to us. It's almost like we're powerless. Okay, uh, let's ask our let's ask our uh, panel uh, what they think of your comment. So let me let me jump in and say I don't think I don't think we believe we're powerless. And in fact, oddly enough, as Donald Trump becomes anti-free trade, and you noted the top the, the death of the TPP, look at what Canada has done in the world in the last year. We signed CETA, which is this free trade agreement with the European Union, on the world stage. If there's anyone talking about trade today, it seems to be Canada. And we've certainly sent the signal out there to other potential trading partners that were open to talk about deals. If the TPP is killed, the big uh, prize in TPP was a, a deal with Japan. Japan had never entered into any significant free trade deals on the world stage. If I was Justin Trudeau, I'd be flying over to Japan and saying, okay, TPP may be dead, but why don't you and I talk about free trade, see what you can now, do with us why, in Canada. Why, why wasn't this done before? Why are we well, waiting until this point in time to start looking for other partners or with other people that we can trade in? Well, why we, have I, we relied so heavily on this one source? But it's I think a, the reality is it's geography. Geography is the benefit of Canada. We, sit, we live right next door to them. The whole world 
would would love to be where we are. We trade 70% of our exports with them. We have a huge investment. A lot of people talk about these bilateral agreements, and I want to take that apart a little bit because uh, just to throw cold water on this, you know, Japan, if Japan wants a trade agreement with Canada, Canada has to give something back. It's not like a trade agreement is not a situation where people do Canada a favor because we're nice people and have a good-looking prime minister. What the Japanese will want from Canada, frankly, will be to lower the rules of origin in autos, the thing that we didn't like about the TPP. It's impossible for me to see Canada doing an agreement with Japan that didn't deal with that issue. And if you didn't deal with autos, frankly, there can be no trade agreement with Japan that would be of any interest to the Japanese. But my question was, I'm sorry to interrupt you, my question was, why hasn't this been looked into before? Why why are we looking at it now? It it has been, Jody, and Jody, thanks thanks very much for your call. Um, it, I mean, it has been looked into before. We had that TPP, uh, though there were there were a lot of people who said the TPP was not good for Canada, and the argument for it was just that we had to sign on or we'd be left behind. Yeah, because, look, when it comes to the TPP, for instance, again, the thing that there's a view in Canada that you enter into in a trade agreement, everyone opens their markets, and our markets are already open. Let me assure you, having worked around the world, nobody thinks of Canada that way, Okay. People will want supply management and dairy. Open it. We didn't want to open it in the TPP. And, and any time we sit down with our neighbors, that's what they're going to say. You sit down with the Chinese. They're going to want to do They're doing a lot more in auto parts. They're going to say we want lower rules of origin. This is where the rubber hits the road. And up until now, in ter- government procurement is another example. Up until you know, very recently, Canada has basically excluded our provinces and the municipalities from making meaningful commitments on government procurement. Um, in terms of buy American and buy Canadian, that sort of thing, the preferences that come from so our local producers. So anytime we sit down with someone else, they're going to have a long list of things that they want from us. And frankly, up until now, most of our governments are not prepared to open those things. And that's, what, that's where the difficulty also lies. Libby, if I can just offer a, sure. a, maybe a mild rebuke to Jody. Um, actually, our prime ministers and even our premiers have been traveling around the world for the better part of the last 20 years, trying to open negotiations and and do trade deals. Kathleen Wynne has been to India. She's been to China. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau has been to China several times. Uh, uh, Stephen Harper was there several times. We understand that as we look forward, as much as the American economy was the dominant economy in the 20th century, in the 21st century, certainly China and India are going to grow in importance and probably surpass the American economy. So we're building those bridges today. We aren't waiting for a Trump to come along. All that Donald Trump has done is remind us of the necessity to do this. It's been really easy to ship goods 50 miles south of us into the United States. Now we've got to think about crossing oceans. Well, well I want to yeah, say, I, add on that again, because I think I, I would have disagreed a little bit with that here. I don't think we've had any real preparation for it, because, again, to do, it's easy to roll the words off your lips and say you want to do a trade agreement with China and India. What Canadian governments have to do is prepare the Canadian people for what will we give up to do that. And there's been zero preparation for that. And I think that's going to be the problem with those agreements. And the other problem is, so far at least from the Trump administration, it looks like his, he's going to be tough on China. And I'm a little bit worried that if we go off on that bilateral Chinese road, bilateral tri- trade agreement with China, that we, it could be perceived as sticking a finger in the eye of, of the Americans and, uh, get, and actually bring on, upon us more problems under NAFTA than we currently face. That's a, that's a, that's a very uh, interesting thought. Hold that thought. Uh, let's just have a quick comment from Jim in Hanover. Hi, Jim. Hi. 
Uh, I just want to make a comment to what was said there about uh, a product, you know, raw material coming in and turned into something in Canada and then sold to the States. Now you say, is that Canadian? Well, here's a big one for you. In Labrador, as part of Newfoundland, uh, they have an iron ore company there, and it's all owned by the Americans. We only have one executive on the board. The rest of it is all run by the Americans. So you take that Canadian iron ore, and it's all shipped to the States, they turn it into steel. Would you say that that was an American product or the raw materials coming from uh, Canada? Well, you know, there, these are the sorts of things you actually get into very detailed legal rules about that we call the rules of origin or the regional value content and all that sort of stuff. So that's the, that's where the rubber hits the, rolls, the, the road in the negotiations that we'll have in, in, in any of these agreements we try to enter into. I think it's also important to note that any of these negotiations aren't going to happen in one afternoon over a cup of tea or a glass of, uh, of Canadian-made milk. It's going to take uh, weeks, months, years. The first NAFTA did not come together quickly. The first Canada-U.S. trade agreement didn't come together quickly. And likewise, these negotiations could actually extend beyond one Trump presidency. Okay. Well, the Canada-U.S. trade agreement actually did come into effect pretty quickly. It, came, it took about 18 months. NAFTA took a bit longer, but... But, but at any rate, I agree with you, the larger multilaterals. I, I expect that what Trump wants, if I had to guess here, is he's going to want a quick victory on NAFTA so he can get on and talk about what he really wants to talk about, which is China. So I, I expect things to move fairly quickly, you know, in terms of we should have a fairly clear idea. of. Now, that doesn't mean he wants a major rewrite of it. I think that there'll be a couple of discrete issues that will be put on the table. And if we can ma manage them, that I think he'd be happy to get an agreement and move on. Okay, Jim, thanks for your call. Uh, we're going to have to move on. Uh, I'm sort of thinking that uh, he probably wants, if, if we can do something minor and let him play it up as, and sell it as something major, that's kind of the best outcome. Do you, uh, do you guys agree? So, Libby, I'll, I'll give you just my side of this. I think with Canada, that's true. I still don't really know what he wants from Mexico, and he, and he seems to be much more fearful of Mexican trade than Canadian trade. And until we actually hear that, probably in the next two or three weeks, I just don't know how quickly it can come. I think with Canada, yes. I don't think he wants anything major with us, but it's North American free trade. It's not Canada, U.S. Yeah. free trade. I think that's partially true. I think, I think look, we know it's mostly Mexico. We know what he wants from them. Can he, can he, whether, whether NAFTA gives him the architecture, the structure for him to get what he wants from Mexico is another issue. Um, and, and I think that's the more difficult issue. Then the question is, can we revert to our earlier Canada-U.S. free trade agreement, which is in suspended animation as a matter of international law, um, if we get out of NAFTA? But my judgment, my best judgment is that it would still require some tweaking and renegotiating before na uh, that old Canada-U.S. agreement could come back into effect. So it's not a get out of jail card free for us. We're still going to have to sit down around the table with Mr. Trump. And don't kid yourself, Americans have have some, some issues, some legitimate trade issues, bilateral issues with us that they would want to discuss in any retweaking of that original Canada-U.S. free trade agreement. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for that. I'm sure that we're going to be talking about this a lot and often. Thanks to Mark Warner and Marvin Ryder. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.